Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Hey, how you doing? got vaccinated yet? Are you starting to step out a bit? Into the big wide world? That's what's happening here. The kids are back in school. (laughs) Amazing. Small classes, uh, of course, with uh, testing and mask protocols in place. They are so happy. They pretty much dance out of the door in the mornings. It's really incredible. We're such social animals. You know, the drive for endless individualism is such a strange lie. No man is an island. Well, except perhaps that dude, Archipelago. But you know what? Fuck that guy. He's an idiot. And anyway, an archipelago is actually a group of islands. As I've told him a hundred times. So, yeah. We're out of uh, the uh, full-on quarantine that we were all in. You know, we took it very seriously. And we're cautiously stepping back into society like shy little woodland creatures waking from hibernation. Today's show is a little different. I'm going to tell you uh, about an outing I had recently. Getting outside again is frankly being very emotional. You know, I don't want to harp on the trauma. I know we've all got it going on. But it's also um, not good to downplay it as well. All the trauma in all its forms particularly the pressures and seclusion of quarantine. So anyway, I got my vaccine at the big football stadium in Baltimore. It's one of Maryland's mass vaccination sites. And as I was going there, I realised that the main classic horror trope of the 80s and 90s uh, was the suburban basement or cellar and the big jump scare reveals in those old horror movies. Uh, was, you know, don't go to the cellar, don't go down into the basement. Um, And as I was going to the football stadium, I realised that one of the big horror tropes these days is the football stadium. Don't go to the football stadium in the apocalypse. You've probably seen it. You know what happens. You go looking for mummy government to save you, but when you get there, the place is either overrun by zombies or you get captured by an army sergeant who's gone full Colonel Kurtz. Yeah, so they say the spooky basement horror trope was a response to the alienation of suburbia as compared to what we were used to uh, with larger 
social community living. So I guess the modern football stadium horror trope is practically flipping the script in a way because we're not necessarily scared of individual alienation and making us lonely prey for the bogeyman. Instead, it's mass social experiences and the fear of the government gone wrong. That's the bogeyman. The ineffectuality of coming back together as a society to fix problems is now the bogeyman. You know, it probably hooks into the psychological reality that we do not have what it takes as individuals to be the lone wolf manifest destiny survivor type person. Because the reality is the strength of humanity, everything we've ever gotten done, our advancement is about working together and being part of a human whole. But as we've become more separated and boxed off and individual, we become frightened of the reality that we might have to pay the bill for all the shit that we've let slide. Our inability to come together to solve problems like ecological destruction or pandemics. And so we fear we might become the next prey to the monster we've created in all its many forms like the hyper-militarized colonialism we've exported to the four corners of the world because we know deep down you don't want to be at the mercy of an armed military at a football stadium in a moment of dire apocalyptic need as all the movies tell you don't go to the football stadium I'm sure the events of Hurricane Katrina have also played a big part in this new horror trope too. Remember Katrina? That was mad, wasn't it? 16 years ago now. What was that football stadium? The Superdome that they told everyone was a scientifically safe emergency refuge centre built to withstand hurricanes. And it, and it really fucking wasn't. Lies. Developer brand capitalist lies. You know, they always do this with NFL stadiums. You know, I've seen this a lot around the country. Most of them only get built with massive municipal subsidies. Money that any sane society would put towards schools and local infrastructure. But they all come in promising crazy economic benefits and jobs uh, that uh, never really materialise. Unless, that is, you want to work at Bennigan's for $4 an hour or you're really into human trafficking around big game days. Hey, got to get the Rams in your city. Got to get an NFL team. City's nothing without an NFL team. Got to get the Rams. Got to get the Rams. Oh, you're going to have to pay us $800 million and build us a stadium and let us play their rent free. Uh, while you won't pay teachers and nurses and the working poor a living wage. But don't worry, the stadium will convert to Noah's Ark come the flood and it can recycle dirty peanut oil into scratch cards. What was I doing going to get a vaccine shot at the football stadium? Was I crazy? Man, remember the Superdome. You had the chief of New Orleans police, Eddie Compass the top man in charge of New Orleans police, running out of the Superdome on like day two or three, all scared, like actually crying, and claiming the place had gone full on Mad Max, saying 
in big recorded press conferences that he'd actually seen babies being raped inside. But of course, nothing of the sort actually had happened. Not even close. When the levee failures after Hurricane Katrina left New Orleans underwater, the New Orleans Police Department and then Chief Eddie Compass were put through the ultimate test. I'm one man, I'm one person, you know, and I gave my heart and soul. I did my job. I did everything humanly possible. I stood on the forefront. I was in that water. Compass tried to call him stranded evacuees at the convention center. He huddled with General Russell Honore to coordinate with the military. But when Compass broke down in tears while giving a report of babies getting raped in the Superdome, a report that turned out to be false, he found himself under fire from then-Mayor Ray Nagin. The mayor and I did not have a good relationship. Just another lying cop there. And of course totally unpunished for his outright lies. Because what he was doing was just spouting the approved message from the system. That it wasn't capitalism, the system or developer lies that had failed the people. No, 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 we can't face that horrible truth. The real problem, the real problem that everything went wrong, is that black and poor people are criminal animals. Look the other way and approve of however we want to deal with them. You know, Eddie Compass is a black man himself, of course, but he was wearing the uniform the police uniform and Stanley Milligram et al can tell you how that goes people in the Superdome raping babies what a disgusting lie what a colossal lie if only we would gather around some of these things as a species and unpack them and really see what's going on when these things happen and of course it was easily disproven it was disproven within about 48 hours and he walked it back. But by then it had already done its job, hadn't it? It had already been all over Fox News. It had already rather effectively shifted the media talking points away from President Bush's malevolent incompetence, away from climate change and social funding, and back into the all-too-familiar lies of America from its foundation, that black and poor people are unworthy of help or compassion. It's the same shit that's playing out today. If you watch Fox News, you're programmed to think the real problem in America is looting rather than police killing unarmed black men and attacking citizens with massive and excessive military-grade force. Eddie Compass was eventually fired, but he wasn't fired for lying like that. A police chief making outrageous, insane shit up. He was actually fired by the mayor weeks later for flying out of New Orleans when the place was still underwater. He flew out of town to the Giants and Saints NFL game where he appeared with President Bush at the coin toss. Just think about the optics there. You've got the President of America and the black police chief of New Orleans who'd just done this huge favour by making up this insane lie you know, at the start of the whole Hurricane Katrina meltdown. And he gets his day on television, shaking the president's hand at the coin toss of this football game. You think it's crazy now with Trump and QAnon, but it's it's always been crazy. The Bushes were just slicker manipulators of the narratives and the Trumps. And so what does the world and America see at that coin toss? It sees business as usual. 
ease on down the road, folks. The football-watching country sees the president and the current police chief of New Orleans, who has just been caught spreading a colossal lie, but let's not talk about that, who has just smeared black communities to promote fear and distract from necessary true hard reckonings about our values as a country. He's just seen him hand in hand at the big game. Look, President Bush is friendly with a black guy. There's no racism or inequality in America. Ease on down the road, folks. Don't forget to watch these commercials. Don't forget to go to Disneyland. Don't forget to buy a six-pack of Bud. You need a new truck. Kadrina wasn't that bad. Shame about all the looping and baby rape, though. Hey, hadn't we better give the police more weapons and money? It's almost as if Bush's dad founded the CIA or something. Some serious propaganda shit right there. Pat Tillman-level shenanigans. Weapons of mass destruction-level shenanigans. Iran-Contra-level shenanigans. COINTELPRO-level shenanigans. Panama Invasion-level shenanigans. And I was thinking about all this as I was headed to the football stadium to get my vaccine. Yeah, irrational, little bit scared, very emotional, first time out of the house, lot going on. But also, just having anything to do with getting medical treatment in this country is a stress-inducing nightmare. So on the one hand, not throwing away my shot, and on the other hand, football stadium, and wondering what kind of clusterfuck I'm going to be walking into. I've got to get the vaccine as soon as I can, because I've really got to get back to hug my folks as soon as Britain opens for travel this summer. Another thing is Jen says she's open to me taking part in uh, this opportunity. I've got to market test the Trump presidential library. Incredible opportunity to be one of the first through the doors of that fucking thing, whatever it's going to look like. And of course, you know, if I go there, I'm expecting it'll be full of the anti-mask, anti-vaxxer crowd. So getting vaccinated as soon as possible is uh, the best I can do to to figure that out responsibly. So I drive to the stadium, and I'm a punctuality nut, so I get there way too early. And um, I've got to say, it feels really good to be outside again, amongst people. We've been very strict with the quarantining and social distancing, and I know we were very fortunate to be able to do that. And maybe, along with the anxiety uh, that I was feeling, there was also a touch of cabin fever too. So I get there way early because I was expecting traffic and hassle. But it's really super smooth. I watch the entrance to the stadium. Everyone's calm. The line's moving. It's well organised. But I'm there early. So, you know, I can't join the line yet to get into the actual football stadium. Um, so I have to just, you know, sit there in the car. And my mind's spinning synapses snapping all the wonderful stimuli around me uh, the Ravens football stadium 35 million dollars a year in tax subsidies from the city and I think in the event of a crisis it's supposed to transform like Optimus Prime and uh, catch earthbound asteroids in its light fixtures and uh, also be a, a water park for the kids the world is so full of stories and history and voices I tell the kids all the time I don't know how you can be bored. If anything, we're all way overstimulated 
We need more boredom. We need more downtime, more time to collect our thoughts. I love that phrase, collecting your thoughts. And at the stadium, the National Guard is everywhere, walking around in full combat fatigues, calmly and helpfully keeping the line moving, but also keeping a lookout and monitoring everyone with radios. And it crosses my mind to uh, ask some of them about the Q conspiracy. Because a lot of Q's posts were about how the National Guard was constantly, and I mean like constantly, like once every few weeks or so, about to imminently arrest Hillary Clinton and Oprah Winfrey for sex trafficking and drinking baby's blood. I know, totally insane, but literally a bunch of Q posts almost a sub-theme of the conspiracy, was constantly urging people to prove their dipshit theories by going and asking National Guard members about their order papers for imminent top-level military arrests. And so I see a lot of National Guard, and I want to know if people have actually been bothering them, seeking them out and asking them about this Q nonsense, asking them as urged by Q to verify this bullshit. And of course the answer that they get is probably, we can't discuss that with civilians. Which, if you want to believe this Q bullshit, is kind of like, ah, but did he wink at me? You know, and it, it strikes me as an important and interesting question. We've got Q people in Congress now. We've got Q people committing crimes and getting shot because of these lies. And here I am, in a rare position to talk to National Guards. And that's fascinating how this particular QAnon lie works, is that people don't generally get to see National Guards around to ask them about it. And certainly not DC area National Guards, who would be the one, you know, at the front line of a lot of these crazy Q rumours. And it's a good lie in that respect. It's not necessarily hard to disprove, because it's such a fucking whopper, another big lie, that if you repeat it enough it almost must be true. Because if you repeat it enough, what happens to people who want to believe this, it gets repeated enough, and then it sticks in their brains, and it becomes true. Repetition is the key to brainwashing. Jesus is magic, etc., etc. And then, your mind's distorted, you start adding any evidence to fit with the lie. People might not know a member of the National Guard, but they might pretend to know a guardsman, or they might know a cop or a state trooper or one of the new brown shirts from ICE, who, given the way QAnon and white supremacy Trump-loving ideologies is baked into the DNA of police forces throughout the country, they will not give an honest answer to the question. And so, like an insane game of fascist telephone, the QAnon brainworms spread, and now they're in Congress. And yeah, you know, my cousin is a cop, and he hangs out with National Guard dudes at Bennigan's, and he says they've had orders for major intel ops for months. So yeah, I'm at the football stadium, and it occurs to me that I have questions for the National Guard soldiers around me. And I've got my recording equipment. I could record it, and it might be interesting. And I get it all ready in the car, and I'm just about to do it. I'm charming, I'm affable, I've got my white skin. 
my ghost shirt of privilege and invulnerability. It really shouldn't be a problem. But then again, it's mass days. And I see these, you know, young guys of the National Guard marching around. And it's strange times. And I just bottle it. I realise it might be a bad idea to be the cabin fever guy who's not been out in public around people for a year who suddenly starts babbling about QAnon conspiracies. <laughs> Even if my intention is just honest curiosity, that shit could go wrong real easy. And they are at the football stadium en masse in part because of crowd control as needed. I start to think it would be a little bit me like asking, you know, gate agents at the airport how many bombs they'd found in all the shoes and water bottles they've raffled through for the past year. It's just inviting trouble. The gears of the machine are running smoothly for me, so why trouble trouble? So I'm still there well early. I've stopped myself talking to the National Guard about Q and how they feel about being such an integral part of this Q bullshit, our current cultural propaganda landscape. And I'm waiting, and I'm collecting my thoughts in my car, and I can see the front of the stadium, the main entrance to the M&T Stadium, home of the Baltimore Ravens, so named because of Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven. Because Edgar Allan Poe was killed close by. I mean, come on, it's still Baltimore after all. There's t-shirts with, you know, the iconic tourist slogan, so much more than murder, for sale at the aquarium. I've never actually seen a raven around this neck of the woods in Maryland. We get tons of orioles in the garden, and cardinals, doves, woodpeckers, turkey vultures, goldfinch, um, all manner of occasional hawkage. Big tit breasted headed tit wings, of course. Um, and loads and loads of crows. Some pretty big crows, actually, that have at times made me stop and look twice. But I've never seen um, the shaggy raven collar and the long knife beak that is almost like a plague doctor mask. So I, I don't think we have ravens around here. But anyway, the football team of the ravens, not because of the local bird population, but because of the local literary connection. Old Edgar Allan Poe, father of the modern uh, detective mystery story, dying in a detective mystery. And he's actually buried a few blocks up from the football stadium in the centre of the city. Being a lover of literature, I have, of course, visited Poe's grave. Um, the last time was in 2016. We'd come out to see the opening of a play and uh, before the show, we went to the grave and toasted the old boy with a few swigs from the hip flask. It was 2016, and it was the day when Republican FBI chief James Cormie chose to legitimise Trump and throw the whole election to him by publicly opening another completely bullshit official inquiry into her emails. And I remember seeing the ticker tape scrolling message going on the screens around the outside of the Baltimore Sun-Times saying, FBI opens new probe into Clinton's emails. Dun-dun-dun! And I remember a ball of tension springing up in my stomach. And we went to Poe's grave, and we toasted him, and I told him, the, the elections are still weird and totally fucked up, Edgar, my man. Because he died in a very strange way. 
that was probably connected to actual election fraud. Yeah, I'll put more information on this uh, in the transcript with uh, hot links spinning off uh, into the World Wide Web of Information. But there was this thing in the 1840s where armed gangs would kidnap unsuspecting uh, guys off the street on election day and get them drunk and hit them on the head and drag them around many different polling stations, making them vote over and over and over for Democrats. Uh, The Democrats, uh, if you remember, were what we now know as Republicans. The parties uh, switched agendas uh, in the 1960s. So Edgar Allan Poe was on his way from Richmond to New York when he went missing for a day, an election day, and then he turns up a day later in Baltimore and he's not in his own clothes and he's incoherent, suffering some kind of brain injury indicative of a head trauma uh, or a vast consumption of dodgy liquors. But as historians trying to solve his death have discovered, by uncovering this practice of vote-rigging kidnap known as cooping, they've shown that his death was eerily reminiscent of a coop victim. He was the right demographic, a well-to-do white man, the only people who could actually vote at the time. And when he reappeared, he was drugged and beaten. And this is the real kicker. He was in a different set of clothes than his own because they would capture you, coop you, get you drunk, beat you up, and then dress you up through several different costume changes in the day to fool poll workers as they led you through polling stations to mark your ex for the 1840s equivalent of George Bush. It's incredible, but it'd be like today if you kidnapped Stephen King and made him wear six different wigs and drove him around to a dozen polling places in rural Maine so he could vote for Joe Biden. Which is why the Republican Party in Maine is pushing through election laws now requiring all voters in future elections to prove they are not Stephen King in a wig. And if you've been following the Republican Party's national attempts to rig elections for the next decade in their favour, you'll know that this is not even that weird and doesn't even make the top 50 of the new bullshit laws the Republicans are trying to implement across the country of these United States. So I'm looking at the stadium and I'm thinking about Paul and all these National Guardsmen coming and going and I'm wondering what Paul would make of knowing that his raven from his weird fucking raven poem is now the mascot animal of an American football team in a global pandemic with many of us carrying in our hearts the grief of nevermore, nevermore will we see some people that we have lost. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. You know the poem. It's essentially about an annoying raven croaking about the finality of death. I'm sure everyone knows this poem, The Raven. You know, it, it's fine. It's an okay poem. There's some nice Victorian comic wordplay in it. Um, but I really think it's only lodged itself in the collective brain because Halloween 
in this culture has become this huge commercial uh, thing and social event. And so people need just the right type of family-friendly spooky shit to fill out the holiday. And desperate teachers in classrooms need to tie in some kind of legitimate cultural product to this ridiculous commercial event. And so the Raven is the best that anyone can really do. It's, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not really a big fan of the poem. Love Poe, don't like the poem. But the poem is interesting for other reasons. Um, it was inspired by a real raven, uh, a pet raven that belonged to Charles Dickens uh, called Grip, which Dickens actually uh, used and put in his own work, Barnaby Rudge, as this talking raven. And Grip the Raven was actually a talking bird by all accounts with, you know, just a few stock phrases. And when it died, Dickens had it stuffed and then it was bought in an auction and it now resides in a special collection in Philadelphia. People visit it all the time to this library with their kids and sit around it reading The Raven. So when Paul met Dickens... Uh, Poe told him he wished he'd put more Talking Raven into his novel, Barnaby Rudge. And he thinks he told him it should have actually made it the whole and centre of the book rather than this minor comic sideshow. Um, Dickens didn't take it that well. Uh, he wasn't that keen on the feedback and said, no, I've written an amazing social history of the uh, anti-Catholic Gordon riots and social upheaval due to the economic fallout of losing uh, the Americas in the Revolutionary War. Thank you very much. The Talking Bird is just a, a cutesy, uh, a bit of comic-like relief. I'm shooting a bit higher than that, Edgar. Thank you very much. But Dickens did tell him that he should go ahead and write his own Talking Raven book. Uh, and good luck to you. And that is how we get the poem, The Raven. And like I say, it's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, it's very Dickensian in a way, playful. But I don't think it's what Poe should be mostly known for. And there are better and more spooky poems out there. The Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti, for example, maybe. Probably a bit too long, a bit too weird. Do not look at goblin men and do not buy their fruits. Who knows upon what soil they fed their thirsty, hungry roots. Yeah, yeah, probably a bit weird. Even if it does have a great Frozen-type sister's girl power ending. So what else? Now, I've, ju I've just said there's a lot more better spooky poems and I can't think of any. Oh, maybe Emily Dickinson's I Felt a Funeral in My Brain. That's chilling and horrible. But then again, on second thoughts, we can't have kids in classrooms uh, reading and reciting that thing. That's that just be that that just be inciting trouble in the classrooms of America if you popularise that little gem. Okay, kids, while we're doing active shooter lockdown training today, I want you to read. I felt a funeral in my brain. <laughs> no, no better. Better to stick with the raven bothering a Pickwickian-style gentleman about some odd character called Lenore. 
Lenore, who I'm frankly convinced didn't exist, and was only called Lenore because it rhymes with Nevermore and Pacar. I guess my problem with The Raven is that it's uh, almost the one bad poem everyone sort of knows so they can shrug their shoulders and dismiss the whole of poetry as not being for them. Which, you know, is kind of like what happens with a theatre. People see one bad production of Shakespeare and then dismiss live theatre as an irrelevancy. But I am a big fan of Poe, though. Just not The Raven, his biggest hit. I really like his short stories. I mean, who hasn't wanted to brick up an annoying person alive in the cellar? Don't go in the cellar. Don't go in the cellar. Don't go to the football stadium. And he also wrote all those first pieces of detective fiction. They're really great. The Purloined Letter. Fabulous. Isn't the obvious always hidden in plain sight? Deep psychological truth right there. Incredible work, Mr. Poe. Oh, and of course his short story, The Mask of the Red Death. How can we forget that? I can't think of a more relevant story for our COVID-plague-ridden times. A gothic horror story written to be critical of feudal society with its colossal inequality leading to social collapse via a plague that doesn't respect the unethical stolen entitlements of power and money. I think it was best summed up by Madonna uh, in her bath at the start of the pandemic. That's the thing about COVID-19, it doesn't care about how rich you are, how famous you are, how funny you are, how smart you are, where you live, how old you are, what amazing stories you can tell. It's the great equalizer. And what's terrible about it is what's great about it. What's terrible about it is it's made us all equal in many ways. People thought she was just being a bit more mental than usual. Maybe suffering some kind of affluenza celebrity called Turkey from all the constant little ego buffs of public fame that she was probably used to. Um, but it turned out she was actually just trying to launch her masterclass in batshit crazy. Probably one of the more useful masterclasses out there. I don't know about you, but I can't go online these days without having celebrities hawking masterclasses at me. And some of them are really tempting. Steve Martin, Judd Apatow teaching comedy, Billy Collins teaching poetic composition, Ricky Gervais teaching how to insult the religious... I actually got one as a gift on my birthday from my mum. She got me uh, Stephen Hawking's masterclass on wheelchair maintenance. Another example of low working class expectations right there. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but there are a lot of classes to choose from. You know, she didn't need to pick that one. You know, Billy Collins, Margaret Atwood, David Sedaris all have writing classes. But what are you going to do? I think she got it with good intentions. Probably thinking Andrew can at least learn something practical how to fix wheelchairs bless her heart I did give it a go actually but I didn't finish I mean you know who am I kidding I'll never be as good at wheelchair maintenance as the great Stephen Hawking 
also, a lot of the astrophysics he started pounding out seemed uh, way too theoretical and beside the point in the upkeep of a wheeled chair. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but I do wish I'd been given a different masterclass. Even some of the stranger ones would have been better. James Suckling on how to drink wine. Elmo on critical race theory. Dr. Jane Goodall on how to speak monkey. Hell, even Gordon Ramsay swearing at food would have been better. I can swear at food. I do it all the time. Look at those fucking eggs. Eat your bastard cheese. I'm Bob Woodward, and this is my masterclass. I'm David Mamet, and this is my masterclass. Basically, that means this is me, this is Jane. I'm Annie Leibovitz, and this is my masterclass. Even the best wheelchairs break. I want to teach you how to really taste wines. I'm Carlos Santana. This is my masterclass. I am Diane von Furstenberg, and this is my masterclass. The wheelchair you bought yesterday will one day break. Fucking delicious. I'm Martin Scorsese, and... I'm Gary Kasparov. And I'm RuPaul, and... I'm Stephen Hawking. I'm Gordon Ramsay, and... I got picked on a lot. And then I skated. I'm Jane Goodall, and... My name is David Lynch, and... First thing you gotta do is invest in a corkscrew. Mama wants to be an upstander to racism! I'm Tony Hawk, and... I'm David Sedaris. I'm David Axelrod. I'm Carl Rove. We're Penn and Teller. And this... And this, this is, is our, our masterclass. masterclass. So anyway, I'm at the football stadium, waiting to get my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. And it gets my time, and I join the line. And it goes into the building between the statues of two football players. Hall of Fame linebacker, Ray Lewis, and some other dude. Now, I like sports, um, but I'm not a football fan. I've tried, I've tried and tried, but I just don't get it. And the optics are all wrong. And the sport itself seems like a secondary afterthought to all the advertising and financing. You know, it's classic America in that way. It's just a condensed mix of all the worst bits. Hyper-masculine militarization and endless committee meetings. Three-hour games with about six total minutes of watchable, identifiable sport, if you're lucky. I mean, I've regularly, and I'm sure you have, heard fans in football shirts say they only watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. I mean, come on, that's not right. And even before Kaepernick exposed one of its main roles in society as maintaining a racist status quo, the optics were way off. You know how black players are generally and suspiciously restricted into certain positions and then policed on field by gangs of old white men in stripy suits throwing flags relating to arbitrary misdemeanours while our modern-day kings sit in the corporate boxes, ogling cheerleaders in sparkly thongs. Come on, admit it. It's a weird, mad mess. And its main function is just to perpetuate a rigged, closed system that guarantees a revenue stream for a few rich, Republican, plantation-esque 
owners, please, just please, just switch off the TV and take your sons on a nature hike or something. Go paddle in a creek. Leave your phone at home for five minutes. Just see what it feels like not to be sold anything for a few hours. So I'm in line and uh, it seems pretty good. It's the football stadium, but everything's really calm and well-organized and efficient. Don't go into the football stadium, Andy. But actually, it, I really want to be here. This is perfect. Everything's working really well. And I've got my appointment email ready on my phone. And the line is moving. And I'm getting up to the uh, Ray Lewis statue. And there are people taking selfies next to it. And I glance up and I see that someone has put a COVID mask on the Ray Lewis statue. And that's cute. That's a nice moment. But then I have to do a double take because it looks like the mask has little bloody daggers on it. And I can't believe my eyes. Because, you know, Ray Lewis was, of course, involved in this horrible stabbing to death of these two guys in Atlanta. You know, in a fight outside a Super Bowl party in 2000. He was out partying with some friends and two guys got stabbed to death. And he fled the scene in his limousine. And uh, he'd been wearing this ostentatious cream-coloured fancy Super Bowl party suit all night. But then that suspiciously goes missing. And just like Edgar Allan Poe, he turns up the next day in a different set of clothes, unable to explain why that is coherently. So, of course, he's charged with murder. And uh, I think they even find some blood in his limo. But uh, because we have the best legal system that money can buy in this country, of course, the charge ultimately gets downgraded to just uh, obstruction of justice. And he settles out of court with the dead guy's kids uh, for some big wad of money. Ease on down the road. Ease on down the road, America. Nothing to see here. I don't know. I guess, I guess the dead guys just stab themselves to death outside a nightclub. And in the process... Uh, that disintegrated a Raven linebacker's beautiful white party suit into atoms that no one will ever see again. Totally believable. But hey, the Raven's key property, this investment entity known as Ray Lewis, future Hall of Famer, is returned to Baltimore intact. And that's the main thing, right? But then, amazing to me, someone put a dagger-designed COVID mask on his statue. And I can't believe it. It's fucking awesome. And I'm, like, giddy with it. And it's all I can do not to laugh and point. And I'm getting ready uh, to take my own selfie with it too. But as I get closer, I see that it's not little bloody daggers at all, but little red crucifixes. <sighs> Disappointment. The magic Jesus bullshit strikes again. And of course, the crucifixes also make total sense because all he's done since the murders is spout a lot of magic Jesus bullshit and act like the stabbing was his own crucifixion in a way. Especially when asked directly about the missing suit. God took the suit away like Joseph's coat of many colours. I think the only major blowback Ray Lewis faced for the whole thing was when he won the Super Bowl with the Ravens. And even though he was the MVP, he didn't get to say the Disney line. 
you know, the Disney line. Who gets to say the Disney line? Tragic. God moves in fucking mysterious ways. When you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Anything your heart desires Will come to you Joe Flacco, you and the Baltimore Ravens just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? I'm going to Disney World! So I'm disappointed it's a Jesus mask and not a dagger mask on the statue of Ray Lewis. Um, but I'm still a little bit giddy about it. And I just about managed not to say to the guy behind me or the woman in front of me, I thought there were daggers on that mask because, you know, it's still a football stadium full of National Guard soldiers in a pandemic. And I'm still probably going to come off like a cabin fever crazy. And also, you know... There's a kind of like... Sarah Kenzie and Andrea Chalupa say it best on their podcast, Gaslit Nation. Um, They call it the United States of Amnesia. And people probably won't remember Ray Lewis was uh, very closely connected to this horrible stabbing of, of two men in 2000. Just like they won't remember... Eddie Compass running out of the football stadium in Katrina spouting horrible lies about how people were behaving inside because it's the United States of Amnesia and I doubt myself my ability to connect with people around me about the observable historically documented reality of our times so I keep my mouth shut because I don't want to come off like a cabin favour crazy. Because I'm living in the United States of Amnesia. Because even though there's giant ravens everywhere in the Raven Stadium, I even doubt whether people know that it's because of Poe's Raven, the poem. But no, maybe everyone's going to know that, right? But anyway, I keep my mouth shut. So the line, you know, shuffles me up into the stadium and I go through a tent where a, a big team of National Guard soldiers check my appointment details and identity from my driver's license. And then I join another line and another line. And it's moving pretty quickly, snaking round uh, all these concession areas up to the second floor. And I'm given a touchscreen computer pad. And uh, on it, I, I check like various boxes, information about the vaccine I'm receiving and waiving my rights to sue if anything goes wrong with the vaccine and I find out I'm getting the Pfizer shot and uh, and there are big you know glowering cartoon raven faces everywhere because it's the raven stadium and grip the raven you know Charles Dickens raven Poe's raven is like everywhere staring at me you know, but in, in, you know, it's well drawn. It's kind of, there's a, a menacing glower to the eye, but it's cartoon style. There, it's, there's a Disney quality to it. It's family friendly, raven evil. And there's even a bar called Marga Ravensville. Marga Ravensville that I kind of go past that I'm guessing serves margaritas 
that look like yucked-up bird bile. Wasting away again in Margaret Ravensville Looking for my lost shaker of ground-up worm bits Some folks say that Ray Lewis is to blame But I know It's just all God's fault As I'm going by Margaret Ravensville, there's a young National Guard soldier stood behind the bar. He's behind the bar of Margaret Ravensville. Big glowering Poe Raven, like over his head with a little go on, get drunk twinkle in his eye. And he's there um, wiping down uh, a bunch of the iPad things. Um, where you agree to not hold Pfizer accountable in case you drop dead from side effects from this vaccine they've brilliantly produced on really short notice. And the line pauses a bit as I'm going past him, and I say, I'll take a frozen Rita, please. And he laughs, and he says, I wish I could, sir. A small nothing of a moment, but I laugh back. And because I'm feeling weird and giddy, as I've explained, I can't stop myself, and I say something else. I say... Quaff the raven. And uh, and he stops. And he just looks at me. Um, like I'm the weirdest thing in the world. Like I've just insulted his mother or something. And I, I and you know I've turned a nice moment into a strange one. Um, but fortunately. The line moves. And, uh, and I get to move away. Just as I'm, I'm about to try and explain the whole raven poem thing which I thought everyone in the world fucking knew, um, as he's hanging out under a giant picture of Paul's raven. But, you know, I just I just drop it, and I move off. And uh, I realise that everyone's a bit tense still, everything's working fine, but it's still a bit weird, and he's just doing his job. He's probably a little bit annoyed, because he signed up for the National Guard hoping to kill bad guys, and instead he's, you know, wiping down iPads in the uh, corner of a football stadium. And all this goes through my brain, and I want to say, you know what, soldier? These small actions of care, the necessary drudge work of society, this is the real hero work. This is what everyone needs. We need more of this. This is what we really need to recognise. And you know, I'm not the first person to say this. But we do actually need to follow through with recognising our heroes, our real heroes, the essential workers, the teachers, the nurses. And we need to recognise it properly, starting with a big increase to the minimum wage and making higher education at good universities free for all. But obviously I can't go into this. I, you know, the lines moved. I can't even explain the Raven poem. I, I really just need to just shut up. It's all in my head. And the guardsman, he's just doing his job and he's fine. So he skipped out of the Raven class. No biggie. You know, it's the pandemic. Everyone's a bit weird. Everyone has a lot going on. Many of the people around me will have lost people or be suffering all kinds of stress. He didn't know the Raven poem and that's fine. And I chill and recognise that it's just good that I didn't start babbling about the New Orleans police chief or Ray Lewis. 
How anyone can forget either thing is weird to me, but life is busy. We're all overstimulated, and it's the United States of Amnesia. And I get up to the next floor, and there are volunteers, and more uh, National Guard, more Ravenheads, and banks of 20 pairs of nurses at tables right down the concourse. And they're really working it. And the line is really moving, not like at a Disney ride. And this is really an awesome sight to behold. Government in action. Humanity coming together, overcoming financial stumbling blocks and vested interests and engineered stupidity to try and solve a big problem. Try and keep me alive to raise my kids so that I can be around to help them build a better world. But not only that, trying to keep that grandparent of somebody else alive who just might happen to breathe my air somewhere down the line. It's incredible. Trying to save everyone, everywhere, from the gargling green death with froth corrupted lungs. For some reason, the collective noun for ravens is an unkindness. I don't know why. Collective nouns can be fun. They can be witty. They can also be dumb. But I've realised I've might not have heard a collective noun for humanity. Some do spring to mind. We could have a grievance, a grievance of humans, an idiocy of humanity, a greed. But as I'm stood at the football stadium, waiting in line, in a very smoothly and efficiently and well-run, organised vaccination, I'm looking around and I'm thinking it could just as easily be a kindness a kindness of humans. Eddie Compass lost his shit at the Superdome, but there were 30,000 poor people trapped in there without food and light and nowhere to ship for weeks. And they didn't actually go Mad Max. That should be the headline. We don't need masterclasses on swearing while cooking expensive food or business tricks from people born at the top of the pyramid. We need masterclasses on learning to be present, on looking around us. We need a masterclass on just doing our bit. And I look around, and for the first time in years, I'm really hopeful. I think, yeah, we can do this. And I get my shot. And then there's an area where they want you to sit down afterwards for 15 minutes just to make sure that you're okay, uh, that there's been no adverse reaction to the vaccine. And I sit there, and it's really beautiful. I'm just surrounded by people of all ages and races, all working together, all helping each other, just as it should be. Humans coming together, organising themselves as a government, working in action. Governments are people too. And it's worked. We've got a vaccine for this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, and it's been produced in double-quick time and delivered in an organised way. 
the world seems so fucking mad spinning out of control in so many ways but I think we can turn it around we can work together for the good of everyone and as I left the building I was truly hopeful there was a spring in my step and I danced past guards and past Ray Lewis with his dagger looking mask and past more people getting selfies and there was a news crew up near my car and they were asking people uh, questions you know how it felt to be vaccinated and and what was going on and that kind of thing and a journalist stops me and asks when you wish upon a star makes no difference who you What are you gonna do? Now you've been vaccinated. I'm so excited. I'm gonna go take a dump on the Trump presidential library. That's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please take a second to give me a five-star review in whatever app you use to listen to me. And if you really want to help, click the link and buy me a coffee. It's a free podcast. Spread the word. Help me grow the audience. I really enjoy doing it. I'm truly honoured to have you along. I know there's a lot of competition for your ears. I've got some great podcasts I want to tell you about in upcoming shows. I'm off on another outing next week, though. Going to tell you all about what happened on my tour of the Trump Presidential Library. Thanks to my friend John Wan from the Funkatronics for the piano sample. I was trying to find a Willie Dixon-type blues riff, and he really came through for me. If you're in Maryland, watch out for the cicadas. Apparently they're coming. This is going to be a 17-year generational hatching happening or something. All the local old-timers around here are really winding me up, saying it's going to be biblical, saying we're going to be drowning in them, saying every step I take is going to be like crunching a hundred of their skulls can't wait bring it on cicadas have a great week wherever you may be bye 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 bye